Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to spring. Oh, <laughs> no, sorry. Uh, it's it's done, folks. It's February 1st as we record, and <laughs> you will not be surprised to know, in spite of one of the most wickedly cold weeks in January, we still managed to be four degrees above the normal folks one of uh i think it was a, a top 20 or 22nd warmest january in spite of robert that week was blistering cold and, and it and it was uh, the warmest december on record yes so yes. Oh, 10 all or i gotta say is north. we gotta ask ron johnson about whether it's the sunspots again and, and oh. not uh human generated climate change well, look folks we don't mean to kid uh we gotta have a little well at least enjoy the vitamin D today. I, I I go outside if I can for 15 minutes and stick my old bald head out there to get a little D uh, this time of year. So at least enjoy that small aspect of this. Um, and for for all of you who probably had some of the worst uh, plowed and shoveled streets two weeks ago, it's all gone. So take take advantage of that one side effect of global warming. But folks, before we dive into our show, we got a lot to talk about. As always, um, we want to remind everybody we're having a huge 40th anniversary celebration, March 11th in Milwaukee. And we've got four other dates uh, around the state in La Crosse, Eau Claire, Wausau, and Green Bay uh, also to celebrate. And Robert's been digging in in preparation of this celebration. He's been going through our archives, which are kept at the Wisconsin Historical Society. And each week I ask Robert, give us the 60-second update of something interesting you found this week that folks might hear if they come to the 40th anniversary celebration. I won't promise I found it this week, but I'll promise that I, that's what I'm going to talk about this week here. And, uh, so we used to have regulated hospitals in this state. And you all know that the whole conservative movement that has created massive inequality and the most expensive healthcare system in the world, while also making it unaffordable or making uh, make it, making basically insurance a scam because people can't use their own insurance policy, began then under Ronald Reagan and, and everything that's happening in states. And the Wisconsin Hospital Association fought to deregulate itself, promising that the market at, would discipline and it would all lead to better, more efficient health care. So two things we fought against in the 80s. One was we had a hospital rate board, so they had to actually have their rates be evidence-based and based on the cost of the procedure, all gone. And we had something, it's a, it's a strange name called a city of need program. But what it meant is, you can't go and build new capacity in a city if it already exists, because that just raises prices. So you're paying for two MRI machines, for example. You need one, and that's and they and they, we didn't need that either because competition would stop it. No, it did the opposite. Large health monopolies, big a bit big chains came in, built things already there, and put smaller community hospitals and smaller chains out of business, which is exactly what just happened in Eau Claire which we'll get to later, Matt. So the point being, we've been fighting this fight for a long time. We lost it in the 80s. A lot of Democrats thought that was a good idea because the hospitals have a big voice in the capital. 
Now we need to show, now that we know the consequences, we need to re-regulate them. And we're, we'd love to have a, yep. a a good progressive assembly person take that on. Or, or oh, stay. look, this is absolutely the kind of legislation that ought to be moving in Madison promptly uh, to, at a minimum, spark the conversation. Uh, you got Representative Jesse James and others up there throwing their hands up. Oh, what are we going to do? Right. Like there's real things that can be done including we already mentioned this, the federal Medicaid money uh, ought to be accepted that it, where that has happened, it, it, it is more resources for rural hospitals. Likewise, the Bachelor Care Public Option Bill that we are trying to get a public hearing for, absolutely critical, again, would expand coverage to a lot of folks and a lot of uh, small businesses and people who are currently struggling to afford it now. Again, more folks, especially in rural areas, the ability to pay. Super important for these hospitals being able to function. So, folks, we'll talk more about that a little bit later in the show. Uh, but really important, we can look into our history to find good solutions that can be brought off the shelf and updated. So with that, Robert, want to get your take. We're going to talk about something that's happening at the federal level. Actually, just happened yesterday, Wednesday. We record Thursday. It was a child tax credit compromise that's sort of how it's being publicly sold uh past the house but robert a lot of attention on the child tax credit very little attention at least in the coverage i saw this morning around the the, the tax credits and the givebacks to big business that are in this bill um tell our listeners a little bit more about what passed the house it's unclear at this moment whether it'll pass the Senate. We tend to think so, and everyone believes President Biden would sign this. Um, educate our listeners a little bit more because Representative Gwen Moore and Pocan voted against this and uh, as progressives, and they had good reason, but a lot of that isn't getting attention. Could you enlighten us? Yeah, this is broken into the headlines. It wasn't on many people's radar screens that there was this bipartisan negotiation going on. Maybe part of it is, is that the new House Speaker actually opposed this as it required both Democratic and Republican votes. It certainly wasn't happening with only Dem only Republican votes. They can't keep the government open, right? Or do any kind of, even do a Republican deal on immigration. And so it's this grand kind of compromise where... They increased the child tax credit, nothing like to the levels during the pandemic that pr President Biden did in the American Rescue Plan. Uh, so it's uh, it increases it a few hundred dollars for different categories. Um, but then it but then it has a huge uh, suite of corporate tax breaks, which is why the Republicans want to do it. And so the question here is, first of all, we don't need more corporate tax breaks. We need to tax the wealthy and the billionaires. But secondly, is to it, can you swallow that in return for this? And here is why Gwen Moore, who has fought for poor, fat, poor, low-income families for years, came from that was a was a was a uh, single mom um, on public assistance as well, right? When she when she was when she was younger, uh, she voted against it. Mark Can did, and it's because it it's a slight improvement. But it's nothing like what we need, not only in terms of magnitude, because it's not refundable. And what that means is, and this goes back to the Clinton era, the child tax credit was done in a very when we had a fully Republican Congress and Bill Clinton was acting like a 
Republican in many ways, let's face it. Uh, it was it didn't it didn't apply to people who didn't have any tax liability. So really progressive tax cut are things like the earning of tax credit, which you get as a cash payment, even if you made so little, you, you owed uh, very little or no taxes, federal income taxes. Everyone pays sales taxes and other kind and property taxes if they rent. So there's taxes, just not federal income taxes, something the right likes to mislead on all the time. And so this is the, the 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 great breakthrough with Biden and the American Rescue Plan, the attempt to make that child care permanent. Not only was it more generous, it included everyone, and it reduced poverty by over forty percent. This does nothing of the sort. So, I do want to say, you know, it's outrageous that even the best media is doing a horrible job of reporting this. National Public Radio. Uh, and they they tend to do this with a lot of their capital reporting because they tend to want to, to think they want to sound objective. Therefore, they distort truth, which is taught in no journalism school to seem like they're on both sides. They talked about the compromise and they said, oh, some progressives voted against it. It wasn't far enough. They never said why. And they never got into how outrageous the corporate tax cuts are, how long they're been because they want to be all objective. So I think that's a disservice. I didn't understand it till I started reading newspaper stories and did not understand that they, they gave me the impression a couple of progressives, like two or three uh, voted against it. No, 70. Hard scale. Yeah. 70 voted against it, not just, I'm sure it caused great consternation within the progressive caucus. It looks like most of the caucus voted against it, but some probably felt pressure to vote for it, right? Like, because as Gwen Moore said, admittedly this this will help some people right who need it right like let's be clear but man uh thank you robert for providing that perspective i think um you know sometimes the media just fails to provide that and i'll just add i too had i too had very little i i was shocked when i woke up and read and heard about this because i just didn't even realize this was on the agenda that's partially on me i'm sure it was out there but um so I'm sure some of you others may feel that way and wanted to know why, and you know, 70 progressives voted against it. So thank you, Robert. Uh, Let me add one little thought. thing. Glenn Grothman said he supported it because unlike most welfare, it doesn't discriminate against middle-class families. So <laughs> you want to go with Glenn Grothman, who thinks that things that actually help <laughs> low-income people, predominantly people of color, because they are poorer because of our structural racism, that that is all discriminating against. Uh, middle class people, then this is a great deal. And that's a perversion of logic, but thank you, Glenn. And with that, folks, we're going to take our first break. You are listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are going to move from talking about this federal issue, which, right, is about revenue, taxes, and spending, right? to news that broke last week and i want to spend some more time talking about it because i want to try to provide some facts to something that quite frankly when the media announced it last week there was very little of and that is the new state legislative republicans tax cut that they introduced last week and they introduced and got press for calling it a tax cut for regular people, basically, lower income, everyone, middle class, working people, right? And not their usual, which is, and I'll just say, 
tax cut for the wealthy. Well, folks, and they got spin. They got spin in almost everywhere that this was uh, a tax cut for lower income and working class people, middle class people. Well, the truth is, and by the way, and why we also want to talk about this, Governor Evers, it is my understanding as of now, is still not spoken as to like his position on this. And I get it, right? They positioned it this way and made it sound like it was going to be closer to like what he's been proposing. Well, folks, the devil's always in the details. And I want to thank our resident economist, Dr. Michael Rosen, who the minute that was introduced, I was sending it to him. Please tell me what this really is. So here are some key nuts that I want to tell you about. Under that plan released last week that we need Governor Evers to come out and publicly say he's against, taxpayers with an adjusted gross income under 100000 so that is almost 60% of all filers, they're going to receive only 26.4% of the cut, okay? And an average cut of $201. But you'd have to, if you don't make $50,000, your cut's going to be less than $99. On the other hand, if you make over 100000 which again is 40% of filers, you're going to receive 70 4% of the decrease in an average of $827. And folks, average cuts of more than 200 or $445, the more you go up. So again, devil's in the details. This is yet again, another tax cut basically for the wealthy that defunds our ability to fund critical service. And one other thing that, the good Dr. Rosen pointed out is that surplus we have, it's not quite what it used to be along with this and others. We're basically back. Like it depletes any ability to go out and fund the things we need, the priorities we need. We did not properly fund public education folks. That shit is rolling out into your districts now. Milwaukee's got a referendum. Referendums popping all over the state. It's because we did not properly fund education. We, Governor Evers did some good stuff to help get some money into child care. We are still not funding child care properly. We cannot have these kinds of tax cuts for the wealthy and think we're going to fund the needs of this state going forward. Please, please call Governor Evers. Make sure he comes out publicly against this. So again, remember, $100,000 or less, you're getting only about a quarter of the tax break. 100000 or more, you're getting three quarters of it. This is terrible. Robert? Remember, the decision in the 80s to allow big corporations and the wealthiest to rig the economy included a co constant massive tax cuts. We've been cutting the taxes of corporations and wealthy people since the 80s, and there was a massive amount under Scott Walker that supersized it, and then we're adding this. There is no end of how much more they want to give to wealthier people. These are fair, Matt. These are as fair as the Republican maps. The idea that the money would disproportionately go to wealthier people, it would be on a sliding scale based on how much you made. I mean, opposite of progressive income tax that was bipartisan consensus and wildly popular uh, for a lot of this century, starting in the La Follette era, uh, to, to, to regressivity. And as one of my favorite 
rhetoric scholars at UW-Madison, Edwin Black, would say about what we've heard from Evers so far, he has been significantly silent. In other words, there is often meaning in silence. Yeah, no, look, we we talked about this last week as it related to the their effort to screw around with the maps and try and package rigged maps as Evers maps. And Evers this week, he said, we, we didn't know by last week that he had announced he was going to veto it, but he did that. He did that this week. That is big news and big kudos to the governor for, for doing that, right? They're shit maps. And it's very clear the Supreme Court is going to come out with better maps. And that is some of the most exciting th- news for democracy in Wisconsin in the last over the last decade, right? It, it just puts all kinds of things out on the table. And quite frankly, immediately, because it's becoming crystal clear now that we're getting new maps. And so the state legislators, like Jesse James, who's scratching his head on what the hell's going on with the health system, they're vulnerable. He should support Medicaid expansion. He should actually sign on to the Badger Care public option. That's what the kind of conversations we need to be having related to these maps. So very happy to hear the governor vetoed those. But again, going to make a call. We have got to put pressure on this governor and Democrats. We need a progressive tax package that they propose to go into this election season that at a minimum follows what President Biden did, and that was a billionaire's tax, wealth tax, something, so that we're not in this stuck in this debate of who's got the better tax cut plan, because they're none of them are particularly helpful for us if they don't include some revenue from the wealthy. And Robert mentioned <clears throat> many of our corporations don't pay anything thanks to Man Ag tax credit. So, which we won't get into now. A lot of you know what that is. So, folks, super important. Tell him he needs to ve- he needs to come out and say he's going to veto. He's against this tax package, but we should be encouraging him. He needs to come out and lead with a progressive taxation package that allows him to fund education, childcare, and the things he has fought for and cares deeply about. We need revenue and a vision so that this fall, this election is about that because we can actually potentially take the legislature back with the vision. Robert? Well, there's nothing much else to say other than you just have to pay attention that President Biden and the National Democrats get it that we need revenue if we want to have adequate funding for public education, if we want to have things like childcare and deal with the housing crisis and the healthcare crisis. And the governor is still operating, unfortunately, and he's thinking about a third term. So I'd like to see a vision for a, a third term with a Democratic legislature that was more ambitious. We need more revenue, not less. And this is not the 1990s where Democrats dueled with Republicans on tax cuts in order, uh, in order to gain public favor. It's not that era anymore. And they're wildly popular. People want to tax the wealthy. This is not a political liability. It's only a liability with the donor class and with the people who have a loud voice in the capital, the corporate class. Uh, the lobbyist class uh, lobby reports were due yesterday. We filed ours. Folks, you should know uh, we do very little actual direct communicating with legislators. We try to get you all that we spent hundreds of hours, around 600 hours the last six months trying to get you all engaged in this democracy. 
But yes, they're surrounded by that lobby class. Robert, before we go to break, one other thing I want to mention related to the new maps is it provided me a great chuckle uh, when the congressional MAGA chuckleheads uh, from our state put in an official request that Janet Protasiewicz recuse herself to the challenge to the congressional maps, much like the Voss playbook, which she basically responded. Uh, you see that sand over there? Go pound it, Robert. Well, it's fascinating because the right-wing court decided that receiving millions upon millions of dollars from people that had were parties to lawsuits did not require recusal. But in an election, telling voters your philosophy, your judicial philosophy does. And I just got to ask, why have elected judges? What are they? What are people voting on if it's not on their approach to being a judge? It's, a, it's so just think about it. The money's fine, the bribery's fine, the legalized bribery, which is what right-wing courts have enabled in this country, and also the uh, this right-wing state, state Supreme Court and Scott Walker. Um, here, uh, that's fine, but God forbid the voters should know what they're voting for. Folks, with that, we are going to take a break. You are listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are very active on Facebook. Um, we share a lot of articles and stories uh, around politics that we think are important. And so it's a great way to at least um, follow what we think is critically going on. A lot of the stuff that we post there, we end up talking about on this show. So please follow us on Facebook if you don't. We're Again, we're also on Instagram. But what I really want to encourage you to do if you haven't right now, and if you're not, I need you to become a member of this organization. All right? You've been listening to this show for a decade or, or less. <laughs> but please, if you haven't, sign up. We're going to put a link to where you can donate. You automatically become a member of this fantastic org when you donate. But we also hope you uh, get involved in one of our many co-ops and get active in your community, get active in your democracy. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. Again, folks, you can find us at citizenactionwi.org, and that is where you can sign up to become a member and donate to this fabulous organization. Help make sure the show doesn't go away. You know, we've only been around over a decade. We might leave. <laughs> Robert, 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 need to get your thoughts on a huge judicial ruling this week in some ways, and in other ways it reveals just how much work we have to do in this state to actually bring back democracy. And that is a governor, uh, excuse me, a Calumet County judge ruled this week that factory farms, we like to call them CAFOs, uh, they may not avoid DNR permitting system, which is, I mean, seems like, yeah, but is big news because quite frankly, Robert, the DNR is the only thing out there that like seems to, and it seems pretty feckless at this point. Help our, Help our listeners better understand the importance. It is in a, a very important ruling, but also some of the limitations if we don't uh, continue to make improvements in who, who's elected in the state. It's sort of like this. If the Ukraine war goes bad for the Ukrainians and the Russians are again marching on their capital, uh, um, 
that we celebrate that they were turned away from the capital, but don't see that uh, actually the war ain't been going that well, right? And that's not happening now. I'm saying I'm projecting in the future. Uh, so in this case, uh, things have gone so far that corporate interests like the dairy industry are trying to uh, get it so the DNR has no authority whatsoever. You would think that the DNR was blocking CAFOs and heavy regulating them all over the state. Uh, of course not. They continue to be built on a regular basis. They're just delayed. So that's what we need to keep in mind, that under a democratic administration, we continue to have a slowdown and have a process for CAFOs, but they're inevitable. And the thing to understand about CAFOs is they put as much waste into the groundwater as a, as a, as a medium-sized city and these are areas with no sewage system. So what's going to happen? It's obvious that these things are a menace. And by the way, no one's talking about this. They're, ma they're massively carbon intensive. They're, 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 they're climate destroyers. And so I would like to see a lot more teeth and regulation. At this point, we tried to like organize uh, support for this uh, last, session, uh, last year. We're not doing it right now. It's a morass. I mean, it's hard, to be honest, it's hard to get some of the environmental groups to want to be real about what a policy should be. And they're trying to, they're, they're in defensive wars like this, like this, that's this judgment, just making sure at least DNR has some minimal authority left and it puts them through some permitting process. Yeah, look, I mean, shout out to this, this, the, the fight on CAFOs has been epic in this state and other parts of the Midwest for sure. Um, and depressing in the inability of local folks to actually control their own shit in their, their, their neighborhood, right? Literally. And thank you to everyone around this state. There are countless groups who have fought locally, heroically, epically, and they, in the, and you know what? You almost always win locally, right? Win the public opinion, but no control, and it always goes back to the DNR, which has been feckless, and the notion that they were not even going to be able to have to do DNR permitting would have been epically hopeless. Um, so, folks, while that may sound some of what Robert said bad, right, it's not because of what we talked about before. There's a real opportunity to make some changes in the state legislature to really change the political environment. And the, this is one area where the majority is with us and with local control, believes there should be a DNR, right? It's the mega crowd and the corporate and the business elites, right? The developers and types who have always been pushing this shit, right? So there's great hope. It's just around the corner if we can make major changes and change the political environment that the DNR operates in. So, Robert, thanks for that update. I'll we'll just say one other thing, Matt. It's good when we slightly disagree. It's good, better podcasting. But um, I'd feel more confident in the prospects if we had a different legislature. If there was actually a bill out there, it would do was necessary. There is no such bill, folks. So I'm not entirely sure we'll get a lot more activity even for the Democratic legislature, but we need it and we need it soon. Well, my take to that would be, I know state legislators listen to this show. I think we should start talking about what that, we should have shit drafted, right? This is one of those critical areas where you can give hope. Um, reminds me of Harvey Milk, right? 
He tells a story. The most important thing that he was about, right, was giving hope to somebody somewhere that he doesn't even know, right, who's totally hopeless. It's not hopeless, right? So um, please, I think that's actually, Robert, a legit thing. Let's uh, let's get a bill drafted because this we know this issue is white hot in a lot of rural areas all over the state, um, and we just we need a solution that people actually believe is doable. So um, with that, I do want, Robert, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about the Republicans and this push for a constitutional amendment to ban preferences for historically marginalized groups, right? Um, please tell us more about, you know, give us the details. And quite frankly, this is happening on multiple fronts, but Robert, well, this is based on, uh, I'll call it to take after Melville and Moby Dick, the great white whale of the uh, of the right right now. They believe that there is rampant discrimination against white people going on in our efforts to create an open society that includes everyone, an actual multiracial economy and democracy. And so this constitutional amendment uh, prevents universities, Local governments, uh, everything, everything, uh, everyone under state authority, uh, that they are to that they they cannot have any any program which is in a very broadly defined uh, constitutional amendment, which you know you can imagine what the interpretations and and it's going to deter almost everything just the way the abortion bans do, right? Uh, that is to say, doctors don't know where the line is and they don't want to commit a felony, obviously. That's even if there was technically an exception. So to ban all such preference programs that try to deal with historical and ongoing discrimination. And uh, they deny that there is such a thing. And in the floor in the floor debate, there was, you know, that's in the past. That's not now. Now the problem I'm paraphrasing is discrimination against white people uh, and white. And so that is what this is. There was very good statements in the Florida floor debate, you know, credit where credit is due representative Jimmy Anderson, who was really a, an excellent state representative from Fitchburg and uh, actually representative Sylvia Ortiz Velez was very good in this floor debate. Um, and she used the example. Oh, they said that equity basically means that we're guaranteeing exactly the same outcomes for everyone. Now, I actually could make a philosophical argument for that. It is nothing like what is occurring here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, first of all, that's a beautiful thought, um, but it's so far from everyone's lived reality that like, it's almost comical that they would assert it. It's absolutely should be the objective and it's why it's important to continue to, you know, just to fight against this stuff and be clear about it. And Representative Ortiz Velez said, look, if I'm starting at the 50 yard line, you're starting at the at, at the 25 yard line. Guess who's going to win? So all this does is have us start at the same yard line doesn't guarantee an outcome. So I thought that was a very well done uh, you know, metaphor for what's going on for, for by the representative. Robert, um, coming back to you again for another lovely mega bill uh, that would essentially support governor texas governor greg abbott on his whole effort around the border uh, nullification where he is trying to essentially 
uh, overrule the federal laws on immigration and say Texas has the ability to do its own thing, which um, is legally absurd. And like there's I haven't really heard maybe you have any real legitimate defense of this in the Supreme Court, which is right. Like this is a Trump court has <laughs> already said that, you know, the federal government has the right here. Robert, uh, update us on the stuff in Texas and it just what, you know, obviously uh, you, in your thoughts as it relates to, you know, what we're experiencing here. I won't go all full Rachel Maddow on you and give you 10 minutes on a, a deep history uh, and, and the modern connection, which is the way many of her shows begin. Um, but I do want to point out that before we had absolutely sedition and the Civil War, in other words, what Trump attempted to accomplish, we had a doctrine that, that Southern states, defenders of slavery, came up with, John C. Calhoun in particular, called nullification, which was states could ignore federal laws they disagreed with. And Andrew Jackson put an end to that and basically uh, threatened to march his the army right down to South Carolina and arrest Senator Calhoun. And, uh, and the danger passed. We have that going on now without that definitive stand. We have a Texas governor, and they're all grandstanding on this. They can uh, uh, use people as 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 uh, as as little puppets and ploys, people who are who are really deprived and in need of help who reach our border seeking asylum and ship them all over the, the country to make a political statement, right? Dehumanizing them, showing their real attitudes towards towards immigrants in an immigrant nation where we shouldn't have it. Uh, but this is part of that. So he sent down the Texas Rangers. He started interfering with and running his own immigration policy. You can't do that in a federal system that's under federal control. And the U.S. Supreme Court, a Trump-dominated court, has already ruled that the Biden folks can go in and take down the wire fences they're putting up. In fact, there may have been some deaths because the uh, federal border agents couldn't get at people who drowned because of the, all the fencing that the, that the Texas authorities put up. And we have 25 governors, I believe it's 25, Matt, that are supporting Republican governors uh, Governor Abbott and some are sending their own uh, state, their own uh, national guards down to help. I mean, this is looking a lot like look, the nullification uh, crisis of 1833. Go ahead, folks, look it up. Yeah, we're gonna, we're going to take a break, but uh, we're going to talk more about this on the back end. You're listening to the podcast. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. We're talking about. The nullification effort uh, down in Texas around the border. Look, this is important because we talked about this. We talk about this a lot, and it's the Republican, the party of Trump, their willingness to be maximalist on everything, to see, take advantage of every opportunity. Uh, this is an this is a place where a democracy is really set up to try to come to an agreement where right both sides don't exactly get what they want, but you try to figure out how to have a rational, sane immigration policy, and you see that that effort is just being killed. The the, the mega types and Trump have led just no, no, no right maximalist political power. Right. Just not not even wanting to negotiate. Right. And 
it's it's so different than the way Democrats operate, right? Like it's always constant, like good faith, right? And so, and I'm not saying that's wrong. It's just this underscores the problem of our democracy right now when you have one party that is hell bent on power at all ends, at all means, and they use every every aspect of the process to leverage their power. Uh, and, and so it, it's really, it's, it's, it's a challenge. And this, this to me is that on steroids because they know the public is with them largely. The public has not got great attitudes right now in immigration. And so they can be awful on democracy and the right way to do this and still think they're going to benefit politically with this outrageous behavior. Robert, any final thoughts on this? You're, you're referring, of course, to the fact that uh, some of those conservative members of the U.S. Senate, which has the only pragmatic far-right conservatives left, it appears, have negotiated this border deal that will probably greatly divide the Democratic Party. I don't, I, you know, in some ways, I do want it killed. But uh, so in return for the Israeli aid, which ought to be conditioned, and Ukraine aid, and uh, President Biden's campaigning now about he's going to close the border if it passes, and it's uh, a little unclear how he's how that it says that. Uh, that is not the right lane for the whole immigrants' rights movement and a lot of young people. It adds insult to injury on the Israeli policy or the Likud pro Likud policy, being pro, you know, the, Israel as far as the people of Israel having rights and and having a right to self determination, uh, absolutely, but not doesn't mean we have to be for Yahoo's porn policy. And so, but it's being blocked because Donald Trump has given the kill order to new Speaker Johnson because he doesn't want the crisis resolved because he wants to run on it. And I'll, I have to say again, NPR's coverage gave him so much benefit of the doubt, it was shocking. It didn't even state what he was saying, like he had some other policy he prefers. No, he just doesn't want Biden to get any anything at all, even though he's going to sign a very Republican approach that no Democrat's been willing to sign for 30 years in order to get a deal. But it apparently won't happen because of the House and Trump. And now we have nullification going on. And by the way, I will just say, because my brother Tad and my sister-in-law nephews were in South Carolina at the state capitol. John C. Calhoun, the father of nullification defending slavery, his giant portrait still looms in the state senate behind the lectern, looking down on the whole South Carolina state senate. So nullification is still very present in this country if you walk into the state senate uh, chamber in South Carolina. Folks, all this stuff is on the ballot this year. It's important that we get involved. Robert, I want to go back to where we started the show with our little bit of history on citizen action and our efforts around healthcare and um, certificate of need and things that were super important in making sure that all of our communities had a rational, fair healthcare system that provided, that kept at its foremost front, making sure we have good healthcare for everyone in our communities, right? That was not, that was as affordable as possible. We hinted, right, that this, of course, has a direct comparison, right, to what's going on in Eau Claire and Chippewa Falls, the Chippewa Valley with the closure of the uh, Privia 
system up there, the whole hospital in, uh, I think it's like 19, uh, 14, a number of clinics, a lot. It, it, it's literally to the point where they're talking about how do we take extraordinary means to set up ways to provide healthcare because the vacuum this will create will destabilize the region. Robert, your thoughts on this in relation to what you talked about earlier and where we really need to go. So we need to understand what's happened. And this doesn't happen in these conversations usually. A lot of hand-wringing about lost capacity and things not existing in areas. Nothing really proposed. There's no, no willingness to look at what system that we've allowed to be created. Um, we have giant nonprofit entities that don't pay taxes. And they're supposed to be held accountable for their charitable mission for that. They're not. They've rigged the system. And they've deregulated themselves with the public never voting on it and understanding it was happening. And I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we were involved as an action early years in our 40 year history in fighting to keep a hospital rate board that actually looked at the rates and made sure they were fairly related to the cost of delivering a particular service or procedure. And then they, we had something called, Matt mentioned it, security of need program. It meant that you couldn't build excess capacity that increased cost that simply was there to compete with the uh, hospitals across the street, right? That was predatory competition. So think about, but that this is healthcare. This is life and death. It would be like, no, we don't need a Walmart in the town. We have a ShopCo, okay? And the way to think about these health systems, their size, they're gobbling up, they're about revenue is like Walmart. Okay, so it, the name of the game is to get bigger and bigger, and they put out business committee hospitals, so we lose all sorts of critical care, and they close hospitals because they uh, once they've taken them over, or community hospitals banned into systems to protect themselves. And in this case, it's really simple. It is like Walmart and Shopco. The two big players in in Northwest Wisconsin are Mayo Systems right? A bit, that's a big system in the top 40. And the, the name of this system officially, Matt, is Hospital Sisters Health System and Privia goes by HSHS Privia. Um, so Mayo, just to give you, this is this is very much like Shopco versus Walmart, where, the, uh, where the, it's not a surprise what the results are. 16.29 billion in operating revenue per year uh, the, the other system, HSHS Privia, 299 million. They're a minnow. They were driven out. But guess what? May only wants to provide the services that are highly profitable. So it in no way guarantees that everything is still available. Quite the contrary, because the other part of these systems is they're trying to migrate to the expensive, profitable things, which are the things that Let's just put it really simply, it's a lot more profitable to treat breast cancer than to prevent it in the first place, okay, or, or colon cancer. And that is why our system is so expensive and then gets terrible results and why um, health insurance is so expensive you can't use it because of all the cost sharing, co-pays, deductibles, uh, et cetera. So that is what's going on here. We need to re-regulate the hospitals, hold them accountable as nonprofit charities, um, and make them justify increasing capacity when it's predatory competition and regulate their rates. Folks, this is um, 
this uh, Robert started by comparing it to like Shopco and Target to whatever, right? Walmart. This is people's lives. It's the health of our communities. It's one of the most fundamental things to our democracy, right? Your your right to to health and 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 a community can't thrive if it doesn't have adequate health provisions, right? So this is one of the most fundamental questions our body politic faces in this state. And let's be clear about this, what Robert laid out. It doesn't matter where you live in the state, you can relate. If you live in Milwaukee, good God, right? The labor and delivery shutting down here. Oh, that's not, we can't make money there. Let's cut that. How, how many hospitals have shut down in Milwaukee over the last couple of decades? The fleeing to the suburbs, that's where the money is, right? Abandoning the places where you can't make insane profit, right? You can't just have the specialty services, right? The elective, all the stuff Robert said you make money off of, right? Um, and so- that's that, right? Like, hey, Chippewa Valley, guess what? You have a lot in common with Milwaukee. We should think about how our politic align, right? So the idea that somehow they're different worlds, they're just, you're experiencing them in different places, but it's the same problem. It's a for-profit system. There's no real regulation of it, and it doesn't care about our communities. That's not its thought process. And if you thought that was their primary concern, this rips all that away. They didn't even tell the mayor. They didn't even tell anybody. They just did this. It should be, it's immoral. It should be outlawed. So we've offered some solutions here today, but it all starts, folks. We got to get organized. We have got to rebuild a movement that's capable of taking on these fights. We can do it. Join us. If you live in Eau Claire, you should join our co-op. We're going to be working on this. We're already working on this, right? Join the fight. Join Citizen Action. Robert, you get the last 30 seconds. We got to wrap this show up. Well, we we talk about thinking structurally. You need to understand what is happening systematically, who's behind it, what power they address, they used in order to set up the system for their own selves, right? To essentially self-deal and rig the system. They need to unrig it. And that's why so much of what's talked about local level and legislatures is irrelevant to the situation. If we don't come to grips with the hospital industry in this case, and it becoming essentially, even though it's a life and death thing, run like Walmart, that and uh, which I've got a lot, a lot of small towns as we know, but this is even more life and death. If we don't get to that, then it's all just lip service. Folks, join Citizen Action today. Click the links, buy the show. I want to thank our producer, Brian Wildrich, who makes the show happen every week. We are indebted to his hard work on the show. Thank you, Brian. Folks, we'll see you next week here at the Battleground with Scott.